Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. We have made it to the year 2019. We are more than, gosh, 420 episodes into this little adventure that I call Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I started the show with the purpose of bringing ideas and theories and advice and nuggets of information from a variety of people who are doing all sorts of cool things. And I think I've lived up to that over the years. Now, this year, as we get into 2019, I'm changing it up. I'm doing less interviews, uh, some more of just me talking about the paradox of potential and why it's important to get out there and try new things. And I'm also trying to, at least once a month, bring on an Austin entrepreneur somebody who is is local to my Austin area. So I'm making some changes to the show. Always feel free to reach out and let me know what you think of these uh, new formatted episodes and what I'm doing, because I appreciate the feedback. You can always find me at tomsinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Before we get going with today's interview, I've got to thank one of the sponsors of the show. So many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers. But dealing with that physical stuff, that can be a pain because you got to pack everything up, take it to the post office, and then ship it. Well, my friends at Amplifier blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you control. Hey, they integrate with your e-commerce shop, and they can help you drive any giveaway campaigns that you might have. They are great for big internet powerhouse companies, as well as entrepreneurs who are just starting out. And on demand, that means no inventory risk. But as you grow, you can stock up on inventory and Amplifier will handle all that for you with their order fulfillment service. Check them out. Go over to Amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So today's show, I have with me Roman Gonzalez. Now he is the founder and CEO of Gardino. And we're going to talk all about what this company does. It basically helps you grow your food. We're getting back to basics. I mean, that's something that so many people want to do. But in addition to that, he's a great entrepreneur who's doing something cool. So, Roman, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much uh, for having me. No, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'd interviewed somebody else. They suggested you as a guest. And what I loved was when the email went out, immediately you said yes. And I find that really successful entrepreneurs, they tend to look for reasons to say yes rather oh, yeah. than reasons to say no. So thank you for jumping in here onto the show. So why don't you tell everybody, what is Gardino uh, so that we have kind of a gist of what you do? Yeah, uh, so Gardenio, everybody Sorry, pronounces it differently. I, I did it wrong, Gardenio. We even talked about this before I started, Gardenio. <laughs> no, it's just fine. People say Gardenio, Gardenio, uh, as long as it's in the vicinity, I'm cool with it. Uh, the main thing is that what we do is we help people grow their own food at home. The way we do that is by sending them a box with everything they need to start growing, right? So like typically, if you want to start growing your own food, you do a lot of Google research. What's, you know, what am I going to grow right now? What size container do I need? You know, there's all these, all this logic that people don't really know is there, um, but they find out, right? They just have an innocent desire. They want to grow their own food. Then they find out and there's this, this big old thing. And it's not that we don't know how to grow food, right? Yeah. Cause don't we just put seeds in the ground and water it? 
that is the exact question like I asked somebody when I went to a nursery and it was like I just put it in the ground and put water on it right and they're just it's like uh, basically and I'm like 20,000 years we've been growing our own food <laughs> and and that's the best we have but the the fact is it's a little more complicated but it doesn't have to be too complicated if you have um, folks like us who are trying to organize that that knowledge and so basically we make all the right decisions for you the first time so in that box we send you uh, the right size container for what you're growing that has proper drainage that was one of the big first mistakes I made we send you a live plant so we don't do seeds or anything like that sometimes it can be really difficult to actually get those to spread so we send you live plants we send you a custom soil mix every plant needs something different right and if you go to a garden center it's gonna give you a generic potting mix and that's that's fine they do what they do but we want to give you um, you know the best first shot then we give you a little care guide um, to help you as you're going and and our big thing with our entire brand with every product we produce is we're trying to meet people where they are Right. So we're not going to go in there and be like, hey, well, the nitrogen levels and the phosphorus, level, you know, like it's just that's really overwhelming for somebody who just wants to explore this. And so we um, in those care guides and everything we do, we try and meet people where they are. And so that's where we focus right now, that problem of how do you get started growing? Um, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but our big sort of like next step and vision is, you know, how do you support people as they're growing? And we have a whole bunch of ideas for how to do that. But the main one kind of how we started was a, an application to help you as you grow, right? Um, so to connect you to the best information contextual to where you are, um, the best sustainably produced, uh, socially responsible uh, products uh, for when things aren't going so well or even when things are. Uh, and then your local community, right? So you'd be able to reach out to other folks in your community uh, to sort of say like, hey, this is going well, uh, celebrate with me. Or, hey, this is challenging. <laughs> My mint is dying, help me. <laughs> So, exactly. So what, what all do you sell? I know on your website, I, I looked before, there's cilantro and lavender and mint and oregano and parsley. Is it just herbs? Is that where we are right now? Yeah, we focus more on herbs as we started. Uh, once the spring comes, we're going to do a lot more in the way of vegetables, you know, uh, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers. You know, We sold those last spring. Um, that'll be the best time to grow them. And so uh, that's when we'll sell them. Um, we have, we are going to be putting up things like kale and Asian greens and baby greens and uh, all this leafy greens that is actually really good to grow right now. People don't typically think of starting to grow in the winter, um, but that's part of our job to be like, hey, you actually can grow a a ton here and it's all the good stuff. Well, and if you're growing them yourself, are you you better off than all of these recalls? Like back last November, we lost all the the romaine in November disappeared because of uh, uh, because of uh, uh, what was it? The the really bad stuff. Uh, E. coli is if you're growing it at home are are you avoiding that or do you still have to be careful of things along those lines? Yeah, I mean, you still have to be careful. We make sure that if, as, as long as you're growing with us, that you have access to the best organic and sustainable ways of managing any issues that are going on. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to get anything like E. coli in your romaine lettuce when you're growing it yourself. In fact, that's one of the advantages. You know everything that went into it. You know the environment around it. Um, there's a lot of reasons why people don't trust their food. And in fact, most people don't. There's a lot of studies that show that. And so, yeah, growing your own food, uh, growing your own romaine, that would be a safe way to still eat romaine right now if you're doing that. <laughs> so it, how did you get into this? What did you do before you were the the vegetable growing king of Austin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what they call me? Is that how they introduced me? <laughs> That's right. Um, the, the, grow, <laughs> the grow your own herbs and vegetable king of Austin, Roman Gonzalez. <laughs> well, uh, if, if they haven't called you that before, they will now. Yeah, yeah. That's I'll fit it on a business card. Don't you worry. Um, but... So I, I actually started uh, down this path a long time ago. I see myself that there is a, a through line, and uh, 
you know, I've only been growing for about five, six years, right? Um, but I, when I went to college, uh, I wanted to study philosophy, right? And, and I did, and I, I got through the program, but I was really interested in becoming a, ph a philosophy professor, right? Like, how do we uh, take these really difficult, kind of almost intentionally obscure uh, bodies of knowledge and make them simple for other people to understand, right? In a way that I can show them, like, hey, you know, in that, in that time was philosophy, how do, you know, all these things people are talking about, this is the best thought, you know, that we have, at least from all the, you know, old dead white guys uh, in history, and, like, how do we help to apply that? Uh, <laughs> I love that. The best hmm. thought from old dead white guys of history. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh and there are a lot, uh, for sure. And so, but I was like, I know that this is helping me. I was interested in the big questions, right? How do you, how do you live a happy, meaningful life? How do you, you know, navigate, uh, you know, the, the channels of romantic love? How do you, you know, what, all these questions about meaning, these existential issues, uh, they've always been really present with me. And so at the time I was like, well, there's this whole body of knowledge, right? And so, okay, so I'm studying philosophy. And uh, halfway through my, uh, my, my time, I, went, I was at Brown University, and halfway through my time, I was like, you know, this, is, this is, isn't tactical, not tactile enough for me. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to produce things. I wanted to be out there doing stuff. And even in high school, I was producing organizations that were like leadership, debate, all these things, journalism. I've had a lot of different lives. And, um, but I, I kind of made the switch over to filmmaking. I really wanted now to make films. That's the channel by which I will take all these ideas and make them accessible to people, lives are better and all the good things, right? Um, so I got out of college and I, you know, I, I produced, I'd done a lot of film stuff in, in college and built a TV station and stuff. Um, but when I got out of college, I was like, okay, I'll move to Austin and I, you know, I'll just get a day job and I'll just write screenplays on nights and weekends and I'll move to LA and I'll make it, right? Um, that's the dream. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to Austin <laughs> Are we going to say? I was just going to say that's the dream for a lot of people, but a lot of people that don't get there. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I like to think that I had the, the good sense to identify that, um, you know, while I, those screenplays are still in the back burner somewhere far back there, uh, that I, I saw my skill set as actually just organizing communities and, and, and seeing opportunity in a space and putting the resources together to be able to um, produce solutions for that. I didn't even see what I was doing in college. Um, building a TV station, creating revenue streams, all these things. I didn't even see it as entrepreneurship at the time. And, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, why not? And it's just like, so I mean, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, um, sort of like small, you know, right of center town. And um, those opportunities just didn't seem like things that were for me, right? So I'm Mexican-American by background. And that doesn't mean that everybody feels that way is Mexican-American, but it's this thing you see other people do that you don't see a lot of people who look like you, right? Right. Well, there, there's definitely something to be said that the community you grow up in, no matter what it is, affects yeah. what, what you do. Either you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to show them and you're going to break out, or yeah. you just accept that that's not the way it is in, in, in my world. I mean, I, I grew up in an entirely different world. I actually grew up in Los Angeles in oh, nice. you know a middle class, mostly white neighborhood. And yeah. yet my dad worked for an insurance company for 40 years and yeah. never thought entrepreneurship. Why would you take a risk? Go get the safe path. And so it took me until I was in my 40s to break free of that because it is true. You sort of get that bias no matter where you come from. And, you know, yeah. bias is neither necessarily good nor bad, but it's true. I mean, we just have it, that internal, you know, look of the way it is. Like you said, you didn't see people who looked like you doing that. So you didn't think that that's what you did. I think that that's common for all of us, no matter what our background is. Yeah. And I, I think that I think that's certainly true. Um, and so I, yeah, I was 
you know, again, they were doing things that didn't seem that I didn't see anybody look like me. So I was like, okay, um, I must be doing something else. Right. I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm just creating a TV organization. I'm just making films. Right. Um, doesn't matter what it is. And so I got out of college and, you know, I, again, I wanted to make it and whatnot. And, uh, but I had the good sense in college to say like, okay, I know that, listen, just writing isn't gonna, isn't gonna get me there. So I did a bunch of marketing jobs as well. So I had this career in marketing that started, I was producing videos for companies, all this good stuff. And so for about six years, I was kind of on and off within, um, uh, marketing and particularly video production. Uh, eventually I kind of hobble around to different jobs around Austin uh, I spend a few months organizing for the Obama campaign actually in 2012 in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and so that kind of set the bar for meaning in my work, right? Cause, uh, and you know, whatever anybody's political affiliation who may be listening, um, anytime you work on any kind of political campaign, um, it is so, you know, it is, it is morally based. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot more there than, you know, just clock in, clock out, right? They actually kind of never let you clock out. <laughs> and, and so, um, so I got very used to that very quickly. And when I got out of it, I started working for a startup. There was this, this guy who saw a lot of potential in me. And, uh, and I, I came on as like, it was a multi-factor authentication security company called, uh, called Twofer. And, uh, and I came on as the first marketing hire. Um, and in a month, I was marketing director. And because that's how startups work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh, we have an opening. It's yours. Go. By the yeah. way, by the way, there is no uh, no increase in pay, but you're now the director. <laughs> yeah, you know it well. And so, uh, so I spent about a year and a half there, and it was in my time there. Uh, we kind of built up this. You know, this, we were trying to get enterprise institutions to take on our our solution, and we had a really cool thing going on. It's a really cool company. Learned a lot. Um, never took a day off, and. Uh, and so in that process, I actually got interested in sort of like, not just how you talk about solving a problem. I was like, I actually want to solve the big problems out there, right? Like, I know I'm, I'm capable, I'm, really, I'm a smart dude, like I, can, I can get this going. And so that was how I started transitioning over to product design, where I've been for the past like four or five years. Um, and so in my time as a user experience designer, human-centered design, uh, I've you know, led it for a startup in the Bay Area called Beyond. Um, so we ran product research and, and design there for a while. Um, I've been, you know, with Rackspace for, for several years, um, working with them, uh, on one of their flagship products. And so, um, now that I identity as a designer, it was something that fit me better than anything. Um, until I sort of decided like, oh, I'm going back into entrepreneurship. <laughs> and so that was the career side. And so with the gardening, it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, five, six years ago that I, I just decided, um, you know, I've always wanted to grow my own food. I was trying to resh reshape my relationship with my body. Basically I was, I was like, I need to make some changes. I need to get healthier. And, um, so I was interested in that. Um, and I've always been interested in cooking. Right. So I was like, okay, well, uh, if I want to make a good, um, salsa or something like that. Right. Uh, well, how do you make a good salsa? So I got really interested in that. I was like, okay, well you need good tomatoes, certain kind of tomatoes. And I was like, well, how do you get good tomatoes? And then, it, then it was very, you know, quickly everything started going to the ground, right? Got interested in, in wine and cocktails, not quite so healthy, but very interesting. And, uh, and it's, you know, these herbal blends, these spice blends, and where does everything come from? And then it comes to the ground. And so all it took was one day there was a, there was a plant sale up north in North Austin, and I bought 13 plants. I just, you know, went overboard. <laughs> there are all these different varieties. I have no idea what I'm doing. I come home and I, and I have this bed, but it's not filled with anything. And I'm just like, oh no, I have no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so I, but then I start, you know, the idea starts forming a little bit. And so I call 25 different garden centers and I ask them, what do you do? And all of them are like, oh, just Google it or, hey, come in and talk to us. And I was, and, I, and they were like, read a, you know, read this book. I'm like, read an entire book. It's 2018. Like, unless I have like hours and hours. Isn't there a podcast I can listen to? Exactly. And so, uh, and I was like, it can't be, can't be this difficult. And in my time as a user experience designer, uh, I focused a lot on onboarding, right? And uh, you, again, there's, there's this through line of how do you, how do you bring people into the fold of a given area? And uh, as I learned more about it and, you know, was pretty intensively studying, I just saw a lot of opportunity. There's nobody really looking at the experience of growing your own food, which is one of the most like quintessential human experiences, you know, of, well, of, it's, as you uh, said, when we started off 20,000 years, we've been growing our own food. Yeah, the, literally the cornerstone of, of modern civilization, the ability to, in an organized way, grow your own food. And, and so there's something deeply human about it, right? And so my, you know, my philosophy, uh, you know, antenna is going off and I'm just like, oh, this is really interesting. And if we can take design toward, uh, toward growing your own food and, and, and have people know what to expect and collect all the data and give them what they need to start, <clears throat> sorry, um, then then we can really do something big here, right? It's not just a matter of creating, you know, another widget for somebody, something they don't need, it's whatever. It's by just putting plants on people's hands, we can really have a big impact. And that was important for me, right? Like I, 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 I ever since the, the campaign and even before that, I want to do something that, that meant something. So, so let me see if I have this whole progression. We go from philosophy major to <laughs> filmmaker to the Obama filmmaker. campaign worker to mm-hmm. marketing executive, to product mm-hmm. design slash user experience person, mm-hmm. to entrepreneur who is yeah. now leading the way into helping people have a basic human experience, which is growing mm-hmm. their own food, which in a way comes all the way back to philosophy. Absolutely. Like I'll be like 100% transparent about it. Like if I could have done when I was 21 what I'm doing now, I would have done it. All The only reason it took this long is because I told myself for too long that I wasn't ready or the people around me made me feel like I wasn't ready. And I've so, changed both those things. So now that you've been working as an entrepreneur, yeah. what, what do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. Uh, I think maybe this is kind of a weird answer. I just, the, the thought that I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, I, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love it uh, because I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Um, it's, I've always been, as you can tell from a little bit of my background, I'm super curious, hyper learner. And, um, and I'm, when I get into something, I get really into something, right? And start entire businesses around it. Um, same way I taught myself film, or I taught myself guitar, and different instruments and stuff. And I've, I'm just endlessly curious. And so this allows me to jump and be a designer here. Then I have to be a marketer here, right? These are all things I've experienced with, but I, and I get to play with them. And then a whole new field for me here has been working sort of operations, supply chain management. How does that kind of stuff work? And so I'm getting to learn about that and, you know, being able to, I'm kind of extrovert introvert. And so I get to be like my extrovert self half the time and I get to be my introvert self uh, masterminding and getting energy there. And so it just allows me to be all the personalities I want to be, which uh, is just really, is really fulfilling. And knowing that the direction I'm heading, that the, the end point is something that is meaningful and it's humble and simple. We're putting plans in people's hands. And uh, it, it's uh, and knowing what that's done for me, right? I just I can just feel very good about it every day. 
So what advice do you have for somebody who is sitting here listening to you tell your story and they're, 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 <laughs> their, their butt has squeezed out to the edge of their chair, their butt cheeks are hanging off the chair because they're going, wait a minute, this is me. I, I have this calling. I've been through this eclectic path, but yeah. I want to put all those pieces together and go start my own thing. What advice do you have for the entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm actually going to give like really tactical advice because um, there's the there's the kind of spiritual just sort of, you know, do you pursue your passions? And I think those are really good things and people need to hear them too. But tactically, uh, open up a Google Doc <laughs> and just start writing stuff down and organize your thoughts and then talk to people about it. Because um, there's people that either they have too many ideas, which is my problem. And so what I did is I, I wrote them all down and wrote like in summaries into 10 different ideas. I started talking to people about them. Some hit, some didn't. I like some better than others. And, and, uh, and, and some of them were just really bad. And I started finding over a couple period of months, I started gravitating toward one or the other. Um, and then that was a good key for, you know, is this something that I can spend the next five to 10 to, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years with. Um, and that's important. And so not only for evaluating the sort of business integrity, right? Is this, is this a viable market? Does this make sense? You know, and when you're just starting, you, you know, you learn, learn all those things just by talking to people, but is this something I can spend my time with? Um, and you may never be totally sure. I, I don't, I think that this just, I, this fell on my lap again. I can't imagine any other life path. Um, there are no alternate universes, just this one. Um, but, but I think it's writing it down getting feedback, and then capping it and just saying, I'm going to go on this one. So, um, so, so a lot of people make the decision that they're going to go with this, and, and they, yeah. maybe they write it down. They get a plan. They, they're clear. However, yeah. what I've seen is there's a huge gap between potential and results. And oh, yeah. you know, living in Austin, there's a ton of entrepreneurs, and I have over the past 30 year, 27 years of living in Austin, I have seen so many people start businesses and more often than not, those businesses have not excelled, but right. some of them have. What do you mm -hmm. think is the delta? How come some people are able to rocket across that gap between their potential and their results? Because I think everybody's got potential, right? Everybody gets excited yeah. about their business when they start it, and some people just flounder. So what do you think the difference is? Yeah, I think, uh, right, there's so many inputs there, whether it's internal or external um, and I can speak to a few of them. I think uh, internally, people just, sometimes people just break and they say, you know, we've been doing this a long time. We've been trying. There's no traction. I can't think of the next steps. Um, and I need security, right? Whether that's they run out of money or they decide that the lifestyle just isn't for them. I think that, you know, the entrepreneurial lifestyle is glamorized in a way that doesn't always talk about um, how much work it really is. And that I think is really true, especially right now in society. I think we have made the entrepreneur the rock star, right? Oh, so yeah. I, I think that in some extent, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but they don't realize how much work goes into it. I was having a conversation today with somebody about a podcast and he's mm -hmm. a millennial. He's 29 years old. And he said, you know, everybody my age is starting a pie. Everyone I know has a podcast on either something they do for work or their hobby or movies they like or whatever. He goes, everybody has a podcast. And I said, yeah, but how many of them have done it for years and have mm -hmm. hundreds of episodes? Because I think there's a difference between I started a podcast and saying, you know, I've done it for four years and 422 episodes. There's yeah. something about longevity. A lot of people peter out and they call it pod fade. 
And I think the mm. same thing happens with entrepreneurship. I think they've been made the rock star. So people are like, woohoo, here's my side hustle. And then nothing ever happens. Yeah. And I mean, there's that whole term of entrepreneur too, right? Like people, people are really big on talk and just very, um, you know, not so big on action. Although I don't think that term's bad. I think the term entrepreneur is good if you eventually take action. If you just sit back and want, yeah. I mean, we all started somewhere, right? It's like a, I, yeah. I belong to a trade association and somebody said to me, oh, there's too many wannabes in that. It's the National Speakers Association. So it's people who are in their living or part of their learning as professional speakers. And a speaker friend of mine said, yeah, there's too many wannabes who go to that conference. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, but there's also a lot of successful people. And he said, yeah, but I just meet the wannabes. And I said, yeah, but you were a wannabe. I know nobody looks like born. You're not born yeah. and they put on your birth certificate, you know, speaker. You know, everybody started <laughs> off wanting to do it. it. It's getting the momentum going to actually turn into, into a career. So I think entrepreneur is a cool thing to be if yeah. then you take action and follow through. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. And kind of to your point, that, uh, so I mean, I grew up listening to like a lot of punk rock music. I'm still really into a bunch of that stuff and like DIY aesthetic. And so it's very much, then that's helped me a lot through all of this too, of just like, yeah, like your first podcast doesn't have to be amazing. Like just sit down with somebody and nobody uses a tape recorder, but like, even if that's all you have, right, just like, uh, you know, and just, just kind of start going and you learn I, by doing. I think it would be awesome if somebody started a podcast with like a reel to reel <laughs> or a cassette tape recorder and like a little handheld microphone. Man, I, that'd I be that the that most. Be, and like videoed the whole thing, just recorded it on tape. Yeah, I know. I know a, a punk band that's called Pickles in town, and they uh, they only release cassettes. And I'm like, I'm never gonna buy it, and I'm never gonna listen to it. But that's so cool, it's so <laughs> awesome. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be dedicated to them because then you gotta go get a cassette player. You know? Well, it's like it's like I met a photographer the other day, and she only works in film. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you're the only yeah. person. You know, Fuji and Kodak. You know, they they don't even know what to do with you. Yeah, yeah. But you, you would ask a little bit earlier, like, what do you think is the difference between those, you know, who are successful and those who flounder, um, right? It could just be, it could be the, the individual and, you know, no particular blame on their, their character or anything, but it could be, you know, they just, they, they find that it's not right for them anymore. It could be um, the business, right? That It's just not the right time, right? It's not the, they haven't found the right market. And a lot of businesses kind of end up in that never really finding the right market thing. Um, and then, I mean, I'm really open about this and pretty vocal about this. And, um, and then there may be some folks who don't agree, but I, I absolutely think that there are systemic forces at play into like who is successful and, and, and who is not, you know, less than 1% of venture capital funding goes toward, um, or it's less than 2% go to people of color. Like they, and they typically sort of say 2%, uh, uh, African-American folks, uh, funded by that. And they don't even like mention the amount of, uh, Mexican-American or, or Latinx folks funded in that way. Is it, um, I mean, that's all. I'm almost embarrassed that it's that low. Yeah, like, and again, we don't really even fall on the map. And then looking at women of color, um, I mean, that's the the amount of uh, African American women of color has has risen in the past couple of years. But that's because the amount that institutionally raised over a million dollars for years was just eight, like eight total, right? And it, and it's so there. Things are getting better, right? And then that's that's always something to be hopeful about. Um, but there are systemic forces out there, and it's not just who's given the money, um, but it's you know who has access to those kinds of people, uh, and it and sometimes it can do with uh, you know again like you said the communities you grew up in like did you have access to people who understood money or maybe they, your parents had already started a business or maybe they or maybe you feel and this is actually something people don't talk about too um, sort of systemically where wealth comes from and then what what kinds of people are more willing to take risks than others 
um, or, or can afford to take more risk than others, right? Oh, I mean, um, w- w- with without question. But you know, I yeah. mean, I, I I grew up in a in a wealthy neighborhood, but like I said, my, my parents were very conservative about money, and and so I don't, yeah. I didn't have that natural inkling to it. None, none of our friends were entrepreneurs. Uh, now I've raised my kids in Austin. And yeah. most of my friends are entrepreneurs. Most of them are more yeah. successful than me. And so I hope my kids have, you know, looked beyond mom and dad and seen what the success that some of my entrepreneur friends have had. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I definitely think that you are onto something that is probably overlooked and not talked about is, is, is that little piece of, you know, what, what were the role models? What were the things you, you saw? Because I think it does impact how we take risks. Because I know I've struggled with this. Well, absolutely. And, and uh and, and I don't want to discount the degree to which, uh, again, if you look at the faces of entrepreneurship in America um, and you know, kids growing up in lower income neighborhoods, et cetera, uh, that they don't necessarily see themselves in that. Right. And so it's it's systemic. It's uh, it, you know, there's a lot of levels to it. Um, but I so think how do, how do we fix this? Oh, there's an app for it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Hisp- no. Hispanicentrepreneurkids.com. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, no, it, it's it's multi-level, right? I think it, it's it's kind of an all of the above thing. Um, I, I tend to feel now these days there's more you have to take an all of the above strategy to most things. But um, I think it takes uh, obviously more resources being ported into communities that we have overlooked, right? It, like you said, there's potential everywhere, right? It's not that the the, the kids in lower income schools or sort of more uh, neglected communities um, don't have potential or don't have intelligence and ability. It's that they haven't been sort of uh, blessed with the resources um, to be able to to act on that. And, you know, I was lucky in my life to be able to grow up, um, you know, fairly middle class and have opportunities. I didn't get a lot of stuff paid for for me, but, you know, I was I was in a better state than most people. And uh, and so, you know, I see it as my responsibility as a as an entrepreneur to um, to be out there and to be public. And, you know, I, I talk to a bunch of, I mentor a bunch of new designers, for instance, I go to schools and I've talked to uh, lower income communities there to try and show them like, Hey, you look like me and like, we, you can do this too. So, so we need every like ambitious Mexican American kid to listen to this interview. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know how you're marketing it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can pretty much tell you as the 52 year old white guy, I'm not, I'm not going to market it that way. Well, yeah. So, so I think that it is, uh, again, it's a combo. And so I see it for me, it's my responsibility to be as public as I can be, um, to be outspoken about these issues. Talking about it matters, right? The fact so that you I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then I think that there's, you know, there's tiers of, uh, level and power and things like that. And so, um, I think that, um, the folks at the institutional level who are, who are doling out money, um, I think need to sort of, uh, reflect on, who they're giving what and why they're giving what. Like there, there are VCs who have said really outright, like I'm going to invest in uh, the uh, the white guy in, who went to Harvard, um, who is you know wearing a sweater vest, like nine times out of ten because we've seen that guy be successful. So oh god, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing like there, it's a risk averse community. There's a there's a there's a, a certain narrow angle in which I understand. Uh, their perspective, but I, I think that it's on everybody in the stack. Right? So how, how important then is mentorship? I'm a really big fan mm. of mentors, and I think that we have to get more of these kids, whether they're white, brown, black, you know, yeah. we have to get them more mentorship. How important do you think that is? Oh, I think it's incredibly important, right? Um, for, for them to, 
uh, and there's there's tons of this work going on, right? I don't want to discount the work that people are already doing in terms of mentorship, but I but I think it is important in terms of uh, younger folks. I mean, even you know, like, hey, uh, I mean, me, I need mentors. I you know, I think at any stage in your life, you're going to benefit from a mentor. Who, oh, I mean, I'm fifty, I'm fifty two, <laughs> and I'm seeking a mentor. Exactly. And at the same time, I have two two guys who I mentor. And they sort of found me organically and, you know, years ago and they said, oh, will you be my mentor? I didn't even know what that meant. And I was I knew them separately. They're now like best friends. They last Thanksgiving, they went on vacation together with a couple other buddies. And um, and people are like, oh, how do you guys know each other? And they go, we have the same mentor. And people look at them like, what the hell does that mean? But (laughs) but one of them uh, went to UT San Antonio. And mm-hmm. his teacher brought the whole class to watch me speak or said, if you come with me to watch this speaker, then you get extra five points extra credit on the final. And so this guy came. Yeah. He was 21 years old. He really liked what I had to say. He ended up hiring me, got the school to fund me to come in and speak to the school. And so yeah. then he was on my radar, right? It's like, oh, you know, that was nice. Sure, I'll you know talk to you. And when he moved to Austin, he took me for coffee. And he's like, you know, I could use a, like a business mentor. And I didn't even know what that necessarily meant. I mean, I had kind yeah. of had that, but never really formally. And the other guy I met in a Starbucks and he was new to town and he was interviewing for a job and, uh, you know, as a young guy and I helped him, you know, with some preparations for an interview just cause I was being nice and he got the job. And then he was yeah. like, Hey, can I take you out for a drink? And, uh, yeah. you know, then a couple months later he called me with another problem and he's like, you know, would you be my mentor? And so I introduced the two of them together. Like, you know, go away yeah. kids. You, you bother me. They were both like 24 <laughs> and, and now, I mean, I, I, I joke about it, but it's almost true. I call them my fake sons. After five years to six years, um, you know, uh, and they will say that their careers and the decisions they're making, they they appreciate having an older mentor who can tell them you're going down a stupid path. And I know that because I went down that path or I had a friend who went down that path. But how do we find I mean, it's people always ask them, how did they find me? And it was totally organic. The question is, is how do we pair up these you know, young kids, whether, you know, they're Hispanic or whatever, with people who can give them that type of guidance to help them maneuver these paths into entrepreneurship or whatever they want to do. How do we do that? Yeah, like I said, I mean, there, there are groups doing that in town. Like, for instance, there's Latinitas in town. They do a conference called Startup Chica. And uh, and it's all about uh, teaching these young women, um, you know, their potential in the startup world and in the tech world. Um, they do all sorts of programs. There's uh, there's girls start in town. And, and then there's a lot of sort of female centric ones, which I think is really important too. Um, then, I mean, there, there's a whole host of, of them in my network that, that, that I know focus specifically on, on the Mexican American communities. So I, I think there's awareness there, um, but I think it starts from sort of kind of what you're saying was sort of like, okay, listen, I acknowledge that this is something that's a problem and is unfair. And this is one of the things of the many things in the world that I want to put my effort toward in terms of social good and, uh, and then seeking those things out. Um, so I think the onus is, you know, obviously on these, <laughs> I don't want to put the onus on sort of the underfunded nonprofit who's trying, trying their damnedest just to sort of get by and like get you their flyer. <laughs> uh, but uh, also on individuals to sort of say, like, Hey, this is something that you know, I do want to do something about. And, you know, contact me. I'm <laughs> find my LinkedIn. Message me and say I want to help, and I'll I'll do my best to to divert those resources where they're they're well spent. Well, one of the things I I really push younger people is is when you find someone who's open to being that mentor or mm-hmm. you know to to being that sounding board, you have to pursue them because people always ask with my two mentees. And I go, I couldn't have called them after I'd met them twice and go, hi, can I mentor you today? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's kind of awkward, 
you know, yeah. and maybe creepy, but you know, because they were calling and said, Hey, can I buy you coffee again? Can I take you out? I want to update you on what I'm doing. They pursued that relationship to the point that, like I said, now, you know, they call me fake dad. So it's like, you know, <laughs> that, now we've gone beyond, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm ever getting rid of them, but the onus was on them early on to pursue getting a mentor. And I think as yeah. they and I have tried to unpackage, how mm -hmm. did the relationship start? I think that's part of the advice is if you're young and you're ambitious and you want a mentor, go find a mentor. Yeah, yeah. that's always going to be true. I, I feel like I've just known a lot of people in my life that I want to be sensitive to the idea that like um, society does a lot to sort of bake um, confidence and, uh, and that gusto into, into certain sects of society that it doesn't for others. For instance, we sort of, and, and again, this is, you know, a larger sort of uh, philosophical worldview thing, um, but we sort of don't really build that that confidence and gusto into into women and especially women of color in the way that uh, we do we, other groups. And so, um, you know, we, we, sometimes we, we I think we as men too, we sort of say like, oh, there's this kind of like masculine thing. And so like, ah, oh, like go and get it. Um, which I agree with because like, hey, I think that that's a lot of what entrepreneurship actually is. Um, but I, I think that uh, I've had conversations around the city about this. I think we can do more as a, as a community to sort of um, grease those wheels and be a little bit more proactive and sort of say, hey, I recognize that these people are underrepresented in our technology scene. I don't think that's a good thing. And I want to make a difference. And so it's always going to be true as an entrepreneur. You need to go out there and get yours because nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah, um, there, there's no magic man. fairy. There's no magic fairy dust, which, God, I wish there yeah. was. Yeah, but, but wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be really cool? if uh, we saw the mentors and leaders in this community um, reach out to those underrepresented populations to sort of say like, <clears throat> hey, we know that it's difficult. We know there's maybe a few more hurdles and you know, here's our hand. Um, I think that'd be a really lovely thing. And that's what I'm trying to do when I, uh, when I look for, for folks like, hey, who are designers coming to the scene that I can help? Who are entrepreneurs that um, you know, have been through some of the, or interested in the same programs I'm at um, that, that, that I can help out, so. Yeah, well, a bunch and, of ways to go about it. And you know, you're talking about you know women entrepreneurs. So I'm the father of two daughters, and so I've always oh, I've always tried. You know, I hope yeah. I've done it. I've always tried to teach them, yeah. you know, that you can do anything. Don't you know? Don't don't believe in don't believe in a ceiling. Just go out there and 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 try and get it. And I have a daughter who's going to graduate from Carnegie Mellon in nice. uh, in May of this year, and she went there with the intent of maybe going to Wall Street, big company type stuff. Uh, she wanted to be a CEO of a Fortune 1000 company. Nice. And now she's getting out with a whole different goal. She wants to, she's probably going to get a job to start with, but she also has, you know, a side hustle she's starting and she's trying to figure out, is that something I can grow into a way to support, you know, help support, you know, her future family and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, she doesn't know what it looks like, but she went in thinking, yeah, I'm not going in for entrepreneurship. And she's coming out with an idea that, she really wants to craft her own way in the world. And I'm watching what she's mm. doing and I'm trying to stay out of it. I mean, it's it's different with the two guys I mentor is they've, they've invited me in to sort of tell them what to do or to, you know, not, <laughs> I take that back. I don't tell them what to do, but they've invited me in to share my opinions whenever I have them. My own yeah. kids have not necessarily invited me to share my opinions all the time. But, <laughs> you know, but, but, but I hope as, as young women that both my daughter, my mm. daughters have what you were, you were talking mm. about. But I'll tell you, this, this conversation has gotten probably a little deeper and a little more philosophical than a lot of the interviews that I, that I normally do. And you actually have me challenged because now I'm thinking, mm. you know, how do, who, who can I go serve in one of those under, mm. underfunded, under, under uh, represented communities? You know, maybe there's, maybe there's someone in Austin who comes from a different background than I come from who maybe yeah. I'm the right mentor. And so maybe I have to be open, you know, open to maybe another, 
another one, although my, my joke is, is I'm not mentoring anybody else because these two guys take up enough time. But you know, now, now <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking if the right person comes along who comes from a different background, maybe that's my job. Maybe that's my, my charge is to be that mentor for somebody in that situation. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, we're, we're all trying to do the good work. And uh, who, who knew it would get philosophical with a philosophy major? Right, Man. yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I guess this is your fault. So I got a couple more questions. <laughs> sure. I got a couple more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you, like all of them, by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance so that you can sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Roman Gonzalez. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Roman, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to think of how much I should so to say about this. The coolest thing we're doing, I think, um, is we're exploring some potential business models and some ways of thinking about and talking about offering plans um, that are just wholly new uh, to the industry and that they just haven't really seen before. And, and that, I mean, it's part of the reason it's exciting what we're doing entirely but things like i'll just sort of throw one at you like for instance uh because all these problems just aren't being solved uh a lot of people don't know that you have to feed your plants right um or at least most of your plants and to, to varying degrees and it always is going to help a lot of people don't know uh that you have to do it then they don't know what to feed it they don't know when to feed it how much to feed it or even how to feed it can, can you uh, give it a beer <laughs> actually uh quick side story when i was um I was like six years old or something. I did a science project and I, I should have seen that it was, you know, my future then, but I, where I, I fed plants like milk and orange juice and soda and water to see like which one would grow fastest. Um, and I shouldn't have been allowed to do that project. It was a dumb project. We knew the answer it was water. But um, anyway, the interest goes back then. Wouldn't have been cool if the Coca-Cola like produced a plant like three times larger or something like that. That actually just sounds like there's an ingredient in Coca-Cola that incidentally does that, right? It's like Monsanto Cola. That's exactly um, right. It's it, it's a monster of a plant and it'll give you cancer, but but dang it, it grew really big. <laughs> well, actually, that's actually like a super real thing. That, <laughs> but anyway, you asked a question. And uh, so we're, there's all these problems with just like how to, how to feed your plant. And uh, so one of the things we're, we're kind of testing right now is sending people the plant food that they need for what they're growing when they need it in the amount that they need it. Um, with, you know, simple instructions on, on how to do it. Right. So there's going to be some things you don't feed like lavender hates fertilization. You're never going to feed lavender. Um, but if you're feeding, you know, you're growing a tomato, that thing's not going to do very well if you're not, um, feeding it like every two weeks. And then there's some strategies around how to do that and stuff. Um, and even with greens or herbs, um, about once a month, um, a, you know, a kind of balanced low level fertilizer is going to help. And so we want to be able to kind of create these paths, that are not just, you know, again, giving you what you need in the beginning, but that help you along the way. And so that kind of a thing just like doesn't exist. And right now, uh, if you're buying plant fertilizer at all, um, you're buying these huge bags for the, for your apartment, even your patio, so it doesn't make sense um, for, for what you're doing. The actual amount that you need is so small. 
Um, we'd rather just give it to you in the amount you, you need, like a kind of blue apron sort of thing. So I think that's a really kind of cool thing. And we'll see, we'll see if it takes off, but there, there's other cool things that we're doing that are a little more um, kind of innovative and just thinking about things differently. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, who in the world of entrepreneurs do they admire? So I'm sure that when you look out at the entrepreneur sphere, whether it's local here in Austin or, or somewhere beyond, there's got to be someone who you say, wow, they're doing cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot. Um, you know, I think a one, and this goes back to sort of seeing somebody who at least looks kind of like you on the, I mean, there's a, there's Bevel. Um, and I forget the name of the CEO right now. It's escaping me. Um, but it's, but it's this black man and who's got this like really awesome history, um, in the startup space. And he started a, um, it's basically effective now anyway, it's a, it's a razor company, um, that they built the razor in a particular way that serves, um, kind of what one might call it non, non-traditional or kind of bit, a lot of times, um, well, actually I won't say that, but, uh, sort of like non-traditional, uh, sort of like hair and face types, right. That, uh, for American men, um, and, and other kinds of people with, with that particular hair type, traditional razors just were not made for them. Right. And, uh, so they've made razors in a different way that sort of serves that community in a way that they hadn't been served before. And I love that because it's sort of taking advantage of the way that, um, the venture capital and, and the startup scene has, you know, has kind of overlooked some of these spaces, right. Uh, historically, which, um, is, you know, un- un- unfortunate. Um, but it's actually this really cool opportunity now, because now that we're, there's sort of a, a greater consciousness around, um, these other communities that maybe we could serve in particular ways. Um, you have some more of these startups coming up or like you even have like, uh, in the VC world, I really love, uh, uh, Arlen from backstage capital. Um, and so they're focused, uh, exclusively on funding, um, on funding folks who are, who are people of color and particularly women of color and, um, and so I, I love those things that, that are kind of focused on, on these areas that we haven't focused on before. Um, so I, I think that's really cool. I mean, I have my favorite like brands and whatnot, but. <clears throat> so if you go back two episodes before this show, if you go to the one that was released a week ago today from when this one is released, I interviewed a woman named Tamara Celeste and she's an African American woman out of Florida who has, is her whole focus now. She came out of wall street. She's also an attorney. But her whole focus now is teaching women, especially women of color, how to invest in real estate and buy their first home. And it's the same thing you're talking about. I mean, she's focused on an area. Her whole world is focused on, you know, that area of serving people who who may not have been grown up and taught how to buy houses and, and everything else. So she's written a book and she's done all this stuff. So you should go back to the episode that released a week before yours and yeah. uh, listen to that one. Yeah, I think I will. Um, I mean, I love anything that's impact driven, right? That I think there's a lot of startups <clears throat> that, are, that are really cool and building cool software. So software I use every day, right? Um, but I'm particularly interested in the ones that are kind of trying to take tech um, to, to, to to kind of create this offline experience too. So one of the things Bevel is doing um, that they announced some time ago is that they're you know thinking of being able to kind of offer you certain kind of hair care products based on where you live, right? And so they're kind of personalizing and contextualizing. Um, and I'm, I'm probably getting that wrong. I hope the, I hope the CEO emails me. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but, but yeah, so it's kind of, uh, this tech enabled CPG space is really cool, <clears throat> but also anything that is, um, helping communities, um, that have historically been underserved, whether that's the poverty or, you know, systemic injustices. Like Speaking that. of CPG, have you been going to the CPG meetup at cosmic coffee once a month in Austin? 
Uh, I went to one a couple months ago. Uh, the, I, I like the folks that run that, the folks at Siete, and uh, and you know Mark Nathan is yeah. around that all the time. So yeah, Mark's the one who invited me to that. It's been fascinating. I've interviewed several of the people who I met at that here on the nice. show. So yeah, there's really cool stuff going on in that space in Austin. Um, and so yeah, as far as the entrepreneur world and uh, and who I am, I there, there's actually I, I I feel like my inspirations tend to come from these like other uh, these like other sources of like. Um, you know, some of the great artists I like or films I like, for instance, one of my favorite bands is, uh, this, this artist named Jeff Rosenstock and he's this DIY punk artist. And most of his career, he's just like put his music out there for free. He's like spray painted t-shirts at shows, um, things like that. And, uh, I love that scrappiness and, you know, he's vulnerable. Um, and, and I mean, it's another part of what I like about entrepreneurs too. It's like when, when they can be really, really vulnerable and talk about real things too. So. So that brings up another question: the mm-hmm. entrepreneur as the artist. Do you see a do you see a a correlation between the two? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think artists are trying to say something, or in some cases, the thing they're trying to say is nothing. Um, but I think a lot of times, artists are people who are who are challenging norms and challenging uh, ideas of, uh, of how how people think about things and, and particular constructs we have and. I think that almost by definition, entrepreneurs are doing the same kind of thing. Um, they're trying to challenge the norms of what we think is possible, is, uh, you know, but what should be expected. Um, and so I think there's absolutely a correlation there. Right? There's that extra element, of course, in entrepreneurship of sort of like, and I think I see it as a design challenge, right? Like how, how do you, how do you solve this problem and create value in challenge norms while building a, a structure that can sustain itself financially, Right. Um, and I, and I certainly look at it as, you know, the goal of, of this is, um, is manifold, but one of them is, you know, for Gardenio, but one of them is, you know, I'd like to be financially comfortable in a way that I can you know, give back to the people and causes I care about. Um, but, but, but I mean that, that I have to do that somehow. Right. And so I see it as a design challenge and like, how do you do all this in a way that's sustainable and, uh, and self-sufficient? Well, and speaking of the artists, so I've seen it in the last year. I've kind of been studying stand-up comics, and there's oh, a nice. lot of correlation between success in mm-hmm. comedy. And I'm not talking about like monetary success and becoming Chris Rock or whatever from the standpoint of a bank account, but I'm talking about success of actually learning how to be funny and actually have a sustainable career where you actually work and get paid. Mm-hmm. There is a huge correlation between what stand-up comics have to do and what mm-hmm. entrepreneurs do. And, and one of the pieces of that is there's a lot of failure along the way. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, they did open mic nights for six, eight, ten years before they ever, you know, really got any good at what they were doing. And when we talk at entrepreneurs, one of the things that comes up all the time is sort of the overnight success. And when we unpacked the overnight success in the entrepreneurial world, we often find it takes about ten years, uh, hmm. you know, and a lot of tries at either one company or several companies with pivots in, in order to get there. So between artists and comics, I see a lot of correlations that I think are overlooked a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that em- embracing of failure. So I actually got really into stand-up comedy, uh, like watching it and studying it like uh, five, six years ago as well. Um, and that was, that was one of those life paths that I decided like, ah, maybe I'll do some other things. Well, what happened to me is I got invited last March. I got invited to an open mic night by a comic friend of mine while I was in New York. And I thought he was inviting me to watch him do new material. And he said, no, I'm inviting you to write a set when you come to New York next month. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, you know, as of the time we recorded this a month or so ago, I've now done 30 open mic nights and I've been invited to do a show in January in Phoenix. 
and which I, I may or may not be able to do because of my schedule. But uh, yeah. I've been studying a lot about it. But but jumping in and doing it, am I that funny? No, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm learning what it takes, and I'm seeing the correlations to you know how do you, how do you get a business to grow based on how do you do this? And part of it is you just got to keep showing up and working your ass off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it also doesn't hurt to have a sense of humor when you're starting a business. So <laughs> that's probably very true. Hey, you sort of segued into this and then I, I took us off on another tangent, but mm-hmm. so what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Cause I think entrepreneurs, yeah. I think we have a little bit of an obligation to do more than just make money. I think we need to leave a mark that really has an impact. So, so what do y'all do? Yeah. So I actually spent a lot of time at the beginning of this, uh, the whole um, Gardenio journey thinking about how could we do this? You know, what's the model? Do we give 1%, et cetera? Um, So we actually have this whole kind of internal impact statement. So we're a public benefit corporation. Um, And so for those folks who who are unaware, it's sort of like a normal C corporation out there, just any kind of, you know, Facebook, Google, et cetera, the same legal format. Um, But we, um, uh, but we, have this extra line in our charter that says you are a business that says you don't, you know, we, we exist to, yeah, operate like a business, make money, but also to, um, to further the causes of uh, sustainability, public health and food justice. So those are kind of our three social impact um, pillars. And so then there's sub ones beneath that, the other ones we do. And so we had um, a student at the, at the Yale, uh, Yale uh, Business School, when they focus on social good, um, kind of take us through that and help us articulate those things. And so we want to be sure, you know, at a very fundamental level, we're, we're doing good, we feel, just by putting plants in people's hands, right? By making that easy. Um, and we think that there are things that we're doing that further sustainability, food justice, and public health, just by doing that, right? Like eating your own food is significantly healthier, not to mention more delicious, um, than buying from the store, um, even from a farmer's market, there's a meaningful, uh, you know, sort of reduction in nutrition by the time it gets to your plate. Uh, and then with uh, with sustainability, everything that we're teaching people on how to grow, we're trying to do it in a way that um, the first thing they learn is the sustainable organic way to do it, right? No pesticides, nothing, nothing not natural, right? Um, connecting them to the best things there. Uh, and, and so we're, we're happy to be able to do that. And then as far as food justice, we know that you know, every, all the knowledge we're putting together and making it accessible, um, particularly with the, the mobile application forthcoming, that all that information is going to be free. Um, and so we may eventually at some point have premium features, et cetera, yada, yada. Because um, again, we gotta, we got to fuel this machine. But um, we want that information and the way that we talk about it to be accessible to, to anybody and everybody so that any community, no matter what their income level and seeds are dirt cheap, um, that they will be able to, uh, you know, learn and grow that way. Um, and there, there's other efforts we've taken, right? So in, in February, we worked with Urban Roots, a local nonprofit, teaches leadership skills through farming, um, organic farming, really cool organization. Um, we raised some money for them for a, a feedback party that we threw. Just about a month ago, we threw um, a party uh, at the Center for Social Innovation on the east side, Springdale General. And we raised a, $1,000 for a sustainable food center. Um, and so they've become really good partners. And so we've done that really early uh, because we just want to be really clear with ourselves and also with people who are watching that, uh, you know, we are not going to be one of the startups that kind of comes into the scene and says, ah, we know everything. We're going to, you know, it's us now, right? Like down with the old um, kind of hashtag disrupt culture. Uh, but we're, we want to work 
with um, the organizations that we know are already doing good work, right? And say, oh man, nobody's doing anything. No, there's tons of people doing good work all day, every day. We have the same mission. We're just taking another path toward the same goal. And so we want to work with uh, our friends in the process. So I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Roman, thank you very much for being a guest here on the show. If people want to find out more about Gardino and they maybe want to order some herbs, how do they, or plants, to grow their own herbs? How do they find you? How does this all work? Yeah, yeah. So you would just go to growgardenio.com. Gardenio. Uh, <laughs> no, you're fine. And uh, so growgardenio.com, and uh, we've got a bunch of plants up there right now that are that are good to grow in the area. We'll probably be shifting them out pretty soon, too. And uh, and then we're on Facebook, uh, you know, uh, slash growgardenio, and we spend a lot of time on Instagram. And I'll post videos there. I made a... I, I grew a, a tiny sugar melon. Uh, it was this handheld tiny sugar melon. It was adorable. And I cut it and made a, a homemade margarita with it and drank it from the watermelon cup. So it was very nice. fancy. Nice. Very yeah. fancy. Very fancy. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll do that. We'll share tips, things like, hey, it's freezing, so bring your plants inside. So um, that's where we're, we're really alive. Awesome. Well, I will be following you on Instagram within the next five minutes after we finish this interview. And I think everybody who's listening should go find him on Instagram and on Facebook and go to their website and order yourself some plants. Yeah, well, this has been lovely. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And thank you for being part of my uh, my, my new format. We've run very long, but that's because we got very f- philosophical and deep into things. <laughs> it, you know, And it's my show. I can go as long as I want. That's the greatest part about just having a podcast. If I want to go long, if I want to go short, my show uh but i really really appreciate it i think that uh you caused i know you caused me to think and uh that means my head's hurting it means somebody else out there probably is thinking a little bit deeper because of this conversation as well so uh, i really appreciate you and i really appreciate everyone who tuned in and listened i say it every time if it wasn't for the audience why would we have a show So if you like the show, go and tell other people. Most people find cool things entrepreneurs do because their friends tell them, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. You should check it out. Uh, If you like the show, promote it. Go on to LinkedIn. Tell your friends that way. Tag me. That always makes me happy when someone has promoted the show. And you can go and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can find out everything you want about me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Everything is there. I'm on all the social medias. And I'm going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Roman Gonzalez. And I know you're thinking, well, that is impossible, but we always figure it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. In 2019, you got to get out there and try new things. If you want different results, doing the same thing is not going to get it for you. So go out there and try new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.